the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. So we, uh, as we approach uh, uh, Christmas, I wanted to consider some, some thoughts for you. Recently I was listening to uh, a talk by Dr. Stephanie Ripper, who grew up to be a very um, hardened, staunch atheist. Um, but as an atheist, she... Uh, could at least have some internal honesty with herself and and realize that if God doesn't exist, then my life actually is not only lonely, but has no purpose, no meaning or value. But she developed, as she says, a sort of uh, a wall, a wall of what she calls atheistic arrogance or pride to, to cover up, to hide this... Uh, Reality, which she struggled to come to turn with. But as she uh, realized, uh, she was not really being open-minded. On the contrary, uh, she had become very narrow-minded by presupposing that all the men and women who'd come before her, uh, who believed in God, uh, that they were fools. Uh, She was closed-minded, actually, quite arrogant and profoundly ignorant. Uh, again, it doesn't take much to work out. There's a creator. The, uh, uh, the fact that there's a cause means that there's an effect. Uh, a cause, every effect has a cause. If there's a tree, somebody, the tree got there somehow. It didn't grow by itself. Uh, the window doesn't break by itself. Things don't happen by themselves. Your house not going to build itself by itself. It's not hard to work out. But it really comes down often to a question of uh, a lack of basic... Uh, humility, lack of basic integrity, honesty, which we see unfortunately around us worldwide. But this was the the case of also Leo Tolstoy, that famous uh, Russian intellectual, who at the age of 50 realized the same thing, that, you know, if my life has no meaning or purpose, then what's the point of anything? When I die, um, if it all comes to an end with me, then uh, my life uh, really has no purpose. And then, as, as an atheist, I have to admit, uh, then what's the point of doing good or being good if it all ends with me at death? But uh, he, uh, as many atheists throughout history, have been touched by the grace to realize not only there is a God who exists, but he keeps everything in existence. But our Lord not only keeps everything in existence, but he entered he entered into our world at a great expense, a great sacrifice uh, uh, to himself. And this we call the, the incarnation. But let us look for a moment. Who is it that came to us? And, and pause and reflect just on that point. And I'm going to use two anecdotes from church history to highlight this point. But... When we, we think about our Lord who came to us, we often can forget who is at Christmas, who is this child who has come to us. He is not some uh, guru, some spiritual uh, leader, some, uh, some great man. He is God in the flesh. But let me expound on what I mean by that. Our Lord, he could have come as a guru, as a stoic, and... Sometimes you often see many conservatives try to, to put our religion as like some form of stoicism. And stoicism 
on, on a natural level sounds very good, very great, very noble. So the Stoics believed um, that the highest ideal of life is to be virtuous. And happiness is found in virtue. And it's very true, that statement. But in order to achieve that virtue, in order to achieve that state of happiness, you have to be indifferent to uh, the suffering around you, even your own suffering, even to pleasure and joy in this world. And it almost gives this image that our faith is like that and that our Lord came like a stoic into this world. And he didn't. And it's far from our faith. Our Lord could have come as some learned man, maybe like Aristotle or Plato or Confucius or Buddha. Uh, and then we'd have a book of the sayings of, of Jesus as we have the sayings of, of Buddha or Confucius. But our Lord didn't emphasize his knowledge. He emphasized, on the contrary, his humility. He says, learn of me because I am meek and humble of heart. He could have said, and probably if we were writing the book, we would have said, learn of me because I am learned. I know all things. And once you've got to that degree of knowledge, which you'll never achieve, uh, we'll never know uh, uh, everything like God does, well then maybe you might be on some level with me. You might be worthy of me. Our Lord never speaks like this. Our Lord could have come as the, many of the Jews wanted him to come as some great war general like King David to subdue his enemies and to make the, the, the Gentiles their subjects. Uh, and the Jews are still uh, working for this. That everyone else, the, the, the brothers, the, uh, uh, fellow human beings uh, whom they look down upon, they would be the subject, they would be the servants of these people. That's what they wanted. And our Lord didn't come uh, to conquer, but to be conquered. In fact, we can say our Lord's coming was a total scandal. A total scandal. Think about it. If you were writing a book where the central figure is this, this God-like person, you're not going to give him uh, qualities that make him look like he's flawed. That he's weak. Our Lord weeps over Jerusalem. Our Lord shows compassion and mercy and love upon the woman, uh, the adulterous woman, uh, uh, woman caught in adultery, but also the adulterous woman at the well. He takes time to talk with her. And remember that Simon the leper says, if this man were truly a man of God, he would know what sort of a woman is talking to him, is touching him, is uh, uh, taking interest in him. He would tell her to depart. If our Lord was some sort of spiritual guru, he, he would have uh, looked down upon those who were less than himself, like the Pharisees did. They were men of God who despised those who were not like themselves and uh, uh, pointed out the shortcomings of other men and were quick to judge others. If anyone could have judged others and despised people, it could have been God, our Lord. And yet, there's no one he did not embrace. Even his enemies... He tried to soften their wickedness by reasoning with them, showing them his compassion, his patience, his wisdom in order to answer their foolishness. There is no one our Lord despised. Even, even the Gentiles that came to him, he would grant them their requests, their, show them the mercy and compassion, their miracles he would work for them. Even the outsider, our Lord would not despise. The lepers, those who were physically unclean, our Lord would embrace, would heal. If you were writing that book, 
you would not write it like that. In fact, you see this. Anyone in, in other religions, when they speak about the central figure of their religion, they're sort of like some untouchable God, untouchable great person, with almost no faults at all, no shortcomings or failings. And yet our Lord, who is without sin, is depicted as somebody who is weak. He comes as a weak child. And even after, not long after he's born into this world, he, uh, what happens? He, he gives the impression that uh, he needs protection. He has to flee. Free from, flee from Herod. Uh, something that, if we wrote the book, we would not write it like this. We would not think like this. Notice that when a few weeks ago we saw in the uh, Gospel, they, they come to John the Baptist and say, Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we are expecting? Because they're astounded at John the Baptist. He lives this, this godlike existence, very hard and mortified, living in the desert, uh, no communication with people as such, uh, eating locusts and honey. And our Lord is, is eating and drinking with his disciples, so much so that even the Pharisees come up to him and say, How come your disciples, they don't fast? John the Baptist's disciples, they fast. Your disciples are eating and drinking. And you claim to be a man of God. And our Lord responds, yeah, my disciples, they will fast. But as long as the bridegroom, that is referring to himself, as long as the bridegroom is with them, they're not fasting. They will come for a time for that. But for now, they are not fasting. They were scandalized by our Lord, claiming to be this great, this great man of God, and yet not fasting. He turns water into wine, approves of this, this socializing, drinking and eating, making merry. Not the figure that if we wrote the book, we would write down. Our Lord was a scandal because his ways were not the ways of men. And that's a very profound point. He comes in a way in order to draw us. The weak, the poor, the lonely. He comes to be born. How? He could have chosen to be like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they didn't have any parents. They were fully uh, adults when they were made by God. He could have come out of the desert as an adult, claiming to be the Messiah. He comes as a child. He didn't need Mary. He didn't need Joseph. And yet he embraced to be born of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Yes, but on a natural level, very poor parents. Not, not much in this world uh, from a material point of view. And, and he's born in a, in a stable, a cave, uh, far from the town uh, instead of being born in a palace of great majesty worthy of his divinity and of his dignity insignificant place uh, insignificant birth Uh, how is this that our Lord would come like this uh, in a way that we did not ever expect ever think of and this is why it is still it is still a stumbling block a scandal for the Jews to to this day. Uh, He came in not a way that we wanted. It wasn't according to our plan. It's not according to the way that we would have written the book. We would have written the book quite differently. But God's book is not our book. God's ways are not our ways. And God chose to come in a way to conquer our hearts, to restore us to the friendship of God, not to make us some sort of external facade, uh, godly people like the Jews had become. 
but to deepen that conversion on an internal level. Therefore, it, it requires a different kind of story. And only God could have thought up that story. A story none unlike any other. And, and certainly, I know that if being honest with myself, the way our Lord behaved and he dealt with men, that's not the way I, I would have been used my power to blight them out or destroy them. That's just on a natural level. We all do that. Anything is in our way, something bites us, an insect, we, we destroy it in an instance, even without thinking. Uh, and yet, it's not the way our Lord chose to respond to our biting him, to our infidelity. And here, I, I want to just take two anecdotes from church history. Uh, uh, I'm just going to uh, give you the example of two great missionaries, probably one, some of the most greatest missionaries in the history of, of our faith, to, to highlight the point that I've just made to you. Uh, and the missionaries, uh, I'm not going to do any justice to their lives. There's a vast amount more you can learn and read about their life. But you should know about them uh, before you part this life because they are certainly an example for us who live in a, a social media, a TikTok world. Uh, how to touch, uh, how to move, how to uh, uh, bring a TikTok social media world to the gospel today. Well, uh, speak to you of one of the greatest minds and one of the greatest missionaries uh, to China, Father Matteo Ricci. In uh, the year 1583, he endeavoured uh, uh, to go to China to, uh, to evangelise the people of this great nation. He went as a Jesuit uh, priest, uh, dressed as a Jesuit priest. Uh, he went to China to try to evangelize these people. And he was probably, again, one of the greatest minds in, in, that God has placed on the, the face of the earth. God sends these rare figures in human history, like St. Thomas Aquinas, these Aristotle, Plato, the, these great minds that God sends from time to time. And when I say great mind, he could literally, word for word, uh, uh, memorize an entire encyclopedia just by reading it once. He'd read it and he could recite everything word for word after that too. It was just an amazing mind. But he also developed a system on sharing that with the Chinese people who were an intelligent people. But for many years laboring there in China, very little success he had. One day he got an inspiration for which he asked his superior's permission. And that is he asked them, I wish to, to take off the cassock and to dress now as the Mandarin people, to speak like them and to follow their customs and their culture in order to lead them to the gospel. The, his superiors gave him the permission and slowly and slowly he began to actually make amazing inroads with these people. So much so that uh, at the time the emperor asked to have a meeting with him in Peking. This was the first... Uh, uh, Westerner, first missionary ever to be invited uh, by the emperor uh, into uh, their uh, presence. Uh, prior to that, China had basically shut itself off from the rest of the world. Uh, he went to the emperor and there uh, he began to speak of our Lord. But not only of our Lord, but of also many of the, the natural scientific developments of which at the time, particularly the Jesuits, were the, the leaders in the world, world uh, leaders in the field of human knowledge. 
And so he would bring them many uh, clocks and maps of the world along with uh, correcting their, uh, their calendar because the Jesuits were very good at understanding how the heavenly bodies moved and, and predicting all the uh, astronomical events that were going to take place uh, from their studies. This impressed uh, the Chinese people and the emperor. So much so that uh, the wife of the emperor, uh, He and Li, uh, she was baptized and uh, received the name of Helen. The prince was also baptized and took the name of Constantine, while the chief minister was baptized and also took then the name of uh, Than Achilles. The king placed then at the front of his palace, the Peking, uh, at the entrance there, an edict proclaiming. Uh, the free ability of Catholics and Catholicism to be preached uh, throughout the land without being persecuted. From this time onward, uh, he began to invite many of his Jesuits to come along and do same, do the same practice, dress like the people, speak their language, uh, embrace their culture and customs with the ones that could uh, be embraced. And you also, like in, in China, even still to this day, so for us as as uh, uh, Catholics in the West today, you know that blacks always uh, represented death. That's why the priest wears black. But for them, the Chinese, the black never represented death. So they had to find new ways to uh, uh, impart the same principles, uh, but in different, me- different means, that's all. And that's what he began to do, uh, uh, without going into a lot of details. Of course, the, the other religious congregations began to get upset with this. And unfortunately, they're um, coming in like the Franciscans. Unfortunately, because they were undermining the work of the Jesuits uh, many years later, uh, uh, even though by the time Father Matteo Ricci had died, uh, he'd converted uh, over 2,500 Chinese to the Catholic faith. And today there are over 10 million uh, Catholics in China, thanks to his work. He lowered himself, cast aside this cassock in order to lead them to our Lord. But unfortunately, because of the other other Franciscans who came along and were scandalized by uh, his uh, manner of dealing with them, in the end, the Chinese emperors were uh, cast out all the missionaries because of this division. And that was sad to see uh, that. And I think the Franciscans should have been a lot uh, more understanding of the long-term good that it was being accomplished for these people. And then likewise, not many years later, another great mind, uh, a Jesuit also, Father Robert de Nobili. He was sent in the 1600s to uh, another pagan land, that of India. And India is a very difficult uh, uh, country to evangelise because of the caste system. The caste system, you've got the, the, the Brahmins and Sinyasi, and then you've got all the other different levels, and then you've got what they, I think they call today the untouchables. They're basically uh, the outcast of society. And you can never move up in, in that caste system. In our system, you know, the, 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 the plebs can be elevated by wealth or by marriage, but in the caste system, you could never move up. You remained in your system. You could go from going up into a lower system but you could never go down and go to a higher system. So this made it very hard to make any inroads uh, in this country. But Father de Nobile looked at the difficulties, the, the challenges that lay ahead of him, and he saw that at the top rank of the society were 
the, the, what they call the Brahmins. They were the, the priests, if you want, the equivalent of the Pharisees in the Jewish religion. And they were just as arrogant and superstitious as many of the Pharisees. They had a million and one different practices they, they would uh, do throughout the day to uh, give people a very uh, external appearance of how, uh, how religious and devout they were. But at the same time, just like the Pharisees, they despised and looked down upon anyone else from a caste that was lower than them. And this is still much uh, today. This is still the case uh, today uh, amongst the Brahmins. Uh, Father Dadabali did the same. He said, well, I have to become as one of them in order to bring them to the gospel. So again, he pulled off his uh, cassock, embraced the Indian dress, shaved his head, and appeared what we, call, we would call in English like a guru, like a spiritual master. But he had one major obstacle, and that is until his day, no one had ever been able to read or look upon uh, the sacred scriptures of uh, the Brahmins, the Vedas. They were written in Sanskrit, which if you've ever seen Sanskrit, it just looks like scribble. Uh, but... Uh, not only that, the Brahmins made it very clear that uh, no, no Westerner uh, is, is able, is allowed to listen to or even hear uh, our, uh, our sacred texts. They say, any foreigner who attempting to hear the sacred text shall have his ears filled with molten lead. If he recites the Vedas, his tongue shall be cut off. And if he remembers it, he shall be torn from limb to limb. But this didn't deter him. He was the first uh, Westerner uh, to learn the Vedas uh, since they were written 2,500 years before. And with the knowledge of the Vedas, then he was able to explain to them, having now read the Vedas, it's very clear that from the readings and the teachings of the Vedas, you, are all, you all must be Catholics if you are going to follow them properly. And I would explain, how is this? Well, he explains to us that I would tell them that I have come from a distant land for the sole purpose of teaching them that law which is said to have been lost. Thus, I adopted myself to their ideas, just as St. Paul adopted himself to the ideas of the Athenians regarding the unknown God. Being eager to receive the law of spiritual salvation, as they called the religion I teach, they first decided to be my disciples and then receive uh, from me uh, the things that I had to give them. He pointed out to them that, yes, the Vedas, and, and it's true that of all other religions uh, prior to the coming of the Christ, they were uh, writings of the children of Adam, offsprings of the children of Adam. And they had some truth in them, and obviously had a lot of error and, and false ideas and misconceptions in them. Uh, I mean, again, if, you, if you've ever read the writings of Confucius, I'm, I'm amazed that a man like Confucius could come to the knowledge on a natural level of the things that he did before the coming of Christ. Uh, astounded, amazing. Got so many things so well and correct. But it's exactly why you see at Christmas... The wise men who were pagans from the East could see in their writings that our writings are preparing us for the Saviour to come. And the sign for us is the star when it appears. And it will lead us to him. So 
Likewise, the writings of all these other religions. The Jesuits, when they would come to these lands, would say, your own writings point you to Christ. They all direct you to our Lord. And they would use the knowledge of their writings to show them this point. Because God never intended uh, to exclude the pagans from his uh, family. They were part of the, the family of, of the children of Adam and Eve. The Jews were only chosen, if you want, I think they've misused and abused this word, chosen. They were only chosen to bring back, bring back the children that were lost and bring them back to the Catholic faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not chosen because they themselves were fantastic people. In fact, you can point out to them, just read your own history in the Old Testament. God is very clear how wicked of a people you were. And how even you as Jews many times sacrificed your own children to false pagan gods. Uh, you became wicked and it was God constantly rebuking you, having to send uh, prophets to correct you and even holy men to put many of you to death like Mo uh, Moses when he came down uh, from the mountain and he called the Levites to put to death all those who had worshipped the, the golden calf to correct you because you had a mission. Your mission was to embrace the Messiah and through him to bring back all the children of Adam to the one the children of God and to lead us to the kingdom of heaven. That's the purpose of these people. Uh, our Lord himself, from a, a distant land, he lowered himself and became one of us. So much so that St. Paul points this out. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men and in the habit found as a man. God had to lower himself. And you know, throughout human history again, we know that men have always sought to make themselves God. The Caesars always wanted to give themselves a godlike uh, status. And you see this from the very beginning of time. Men have always wanted to be gods. And God, on the contrary, chose to be man. That's why I say, if you wrote the book, you wouldn't write it that, like that. It's not a human story. It's a divine story communicated for men. And our Lord's stories in the New Testament. That, that even a child can under, read the New Testament and understand what our Lord is saying. If our Lord wanted to come as some guru, he would speak so very difficult that hardly anyone could understand him, showing how bright and how intelligent he is. And you often see this today, particularly with any of the, the Germans. I'm talking about the German philosophers. Good luck if anyone can understand them. Because they, they think that the more complicated, the more complex... The more learned, the more great I am. And our Lord does the very contrary. Very simple, very easy to grasp. And, and you can see many times in the New Testament that the Pharisees get upset with our Lord because it meant that as simple as he was, they clearly understood him. You don't get upset with somebody who you don't understand. But they clearly understood him. It was very simple, easy to understand in what he was saying. Our Lord brought himself to our level. and spoke even in parables and ways that we can, in through the parables, we can understand very complex things, uh, very profound things, and yet in written in a, uh, spoken in a story that even a child can understand. So much so does our Lord lower himself uh, to our uh, accommodation. And speaking on, on this point, St. Athanasius points out to us uh, that when the minds of men had fallen uh, finally to the level of the sensible things that men had become so carnal and earthly-minded, the word submitted to appear in a body, uh, 
in order that he, as a man, might centre their senses on himself and convince them through his human acts that he himself is not man only, but also God, the word and wisdom of the true God. We became carnal, we became worldly, we became material. And what does he do? He becomes material. He becomes incarnate. So he can use this. Even our weakness he can use to elevate us, to lead us higher. And this is also a thought for us today. When we, when we look about the world today, we must never be like the Pharisees and look how we can judge, condemn. But maybe like those two missionaries, how can I touch a TikTok world, a social media world? How can I bring them, draw them? Uh, maybe you sometimes using the very means that they, they have embraced, which are not in themselves intrinsically evil, to draw them to the gospel. You know, uh, the revolutionary thing about the incarnation that we perhaps never think about is that not since uh, the fall of Adam and Eve had God ever walked with men. When Adam and Eve fell, God departed his presence from men. But now he comes back to walk in our midst, to dwell in our midst. And for us, we know he still dwells in our midst in the Blessed Sacrament. It's not some, some historical event passing only, but a living and true reality. And this is why we celebrate with such eagerness, such joy, uh, every Holy Mass. Because our Lord continues to dwell with us in our midst. What a great a great privilege for us. Simply then, dear faithful, to conclude uh, uh, today's words with the beautiful offertory prayer of the Christmas Mass. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad before the face of the Lord because he comes. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.